have bad news this week, Mayo. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I rave, I rave about my MacBook Air being a great value every week, and I have to say, this week I have to re- retract my recommendation of the MacBook Air, <laughs> reevaluate the value that it provides, and and I'll explain more later. But that's what I have for now. <laughs> you know, so stay tuned. <laughs> What's that? A sub remark or something? <laughs> I mean, it comes from Twitter, so <laughs> it does come from Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll we'll get into it in a minute. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of, of of Twitter, um, you know, I I know you've got about ten thousand more followers than me, so it's easier for you to have, to have a tweet hit. Um, but I I don't know why I have ten thousand, but it just proves it means nothing. That you know, but but anyway. Uh, I, had, I had a random tweet this week, which was SMS versus iMessage, and it's the green iPhone uh, 13 Pro next to the, the blue one. And for some reason, people liked that one. Um, and not to get embarrassed about what I tweet, because I'm like, is this too stupid? That one, I guess, wasn't. Nah, but- nothing's too stupid. The best thing about Twitter is, if you post something that's really stupid, nobody retweets it, and so then nobody else sees it. <laughs> but if you if you toe the line perfectly, everyone loves it, and you get hundreds of retweets and, and likes and everything else. Like, like um... In real life, friends who who are exposed to my Twitter sometimes for whatever reason, because like normal people, they'll they'll, they'll try out Twitter, and mm-hmm. you know they'll follow the people who they know, and then you know most of it will be my tweets because nobody else tweets, and then they're like, "What is wrong with you?" So I don't know, but anyway, all that to say, the green iPhone 13 and uh, the Alpine green iPhone 13 Pro are available as of Friday, uh, March 18th, one day after Saint Pat Saint's Pat Little Saint Patrick's Day. Um, one day missed there, but uh, the the reviews for the uh, for the green iPhones are are out. And They're incredibly insightful. I mean, yeah, it's a very saturated green. It's it's green. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I I think that the green iPhone reviews. I, I don't want, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I think that they're they're probably I think they're better than the purple iPhone 12 reviews were <laughs> in, in terms of just insight and, and the value that they provide. It's a cool color. I don't like green. All right. Uh, they, they do. They, here's what I'll say. They do a green aluminum iPhone 13. They do a green aluminum Apple Watch Series 7. They do a green stainless steel iPhone 13 Pro. They do not do... Alpine green. Yeah, very different. Yeah, well, alpine green. You know, forest green. They, it looks exactly the same apart from what material it's on. <laughs> they do not do a green uh, stainless steel Apple Watch. That's a miss. They should, they should... I wouldn't buy it, but they should do that, I guess. I don't know. But, well, we know what's coming in Series 8. <laughs> Their other colors are always not quite in sync with each other, but oh well. Uh, yeah, so the green iPhone 13 reviews are in. It's green. iPhone SE reviews are in as well. This is for the third generation, the 5G model. And what's the verdict there? Did you know it's got an A15 chip in it? And that's According to the reviews, it does have an A15 chip in it. <laughs> so I mean, well, again, what is there to speak of? Like, it's an iPhone SE. It has 5G. Whatever. It's more about what what people don't say about it. They don't say that the webcam is horrible, so that's good. <laughs> that's a win for the SC. <laughs> you, you can have your moments. I just hold on, hold on. <laughs> yeah, the the SE is like. I mean, I wish it was the thing with the SE is. I saw a lot of people when the, the SE review is going out saying Apple intentionally keeps the old design around because people want the home button, people want the familiarity. They want the touch ID sensor. 
and they want a physical button to click rather than gestures. And because there was some criticism of the iPhone SE reviews for saying that the iPhone SE isn't good value or compared to the Android competition, uh, the 429 price point of the iPhone SE is a bit a bit weak source because you can get like full screen Android phones with underscreen fingerprint sensors. You know, the phones aren't like great, but for that $300 price point, you can get, you can get decent phones. And for $500, $600, you can get really decent Android phones, right? And Apple's strata is you can have an iPhone SE at 429 or you've got to basically jump up to 600 to get like the iPhone 12. Um, and then even higher if you want anything, you know, iPhone 13 uh, stature. So like Apple's pricing means that their cheapest phone is not as good as what the Android phones are because overall, the Android phones in the same price point you get better value for money because, <laughs> shocker, Apple charges a lot for their stuff most of the time. Uh, not on everything, but on some things. And I think the iPhone is certainly a place where they command price premium. And they don't, in my opinion, have any care in the world about like keeping the home button around for nostalgia, for keeping, you know, helping some segment of the population be more comfortable, be more familiar. It's just the way they can make the phone the cheapest they can while still preserving their healthy margins on every unit. And so... This year, the iPhone SE, it still has the old design. Next year, maybe it'll be time that Apple can get the full screen design with a with a power button in the side, with a, side, a touch ID in the side power button, and that'll be able to be cheap enough for them to ship that at scale uh, and have the same kind of $400 price point. And when that happens, they're going to do it. I don't think they have any feelings or concerns or reservations about getting rid of the home button design because you look at their best-selling models all of them have changed to face ID full screen designs because that's what people want. People want big screens. They look nice. It's cool. And the gesture system has been one of the best things Apple's ever done. Yes, there are a few holdouts, but I think they're so minute in the scheme of things. Apple isn't keeping around an entire brand of device for that market. If that was a big issue and people really wanted home buttons, well, remember before, those people were buying the $600, $700, $800 premium phones if people really wanted home buttons and they really wanted Touch ID, Apple would make a $600, $700, $800 phone with that in it, and they don't. So the iPhone SE, it's made to be cheap. This is what you get this year. Hopefully next year or the year after, they'll be able to do like you know a more modern-looking, cheaper phone, but this is what you have for 2022. iPhone SE 3. Our colleague, we have a, a, a newer colleague, Allison McDaniel, and she wrote a comparison of, of a couple of Samsung phones today that are that are 5G budget phones and how they compare to the iPhone SE 3. And um, it, it's kind of neat to look at because if, if you're comparing the SE 3 to these, um, one of them is, is the Galaxy A53, which is um, 120 hertz refresh rate, and it's a 6.5 inch OLED screen. And it only costs like twenty dollars more than the yeah. SE three, um, and and it's got double the storage. And the same thing for this A thirty three, which is the same price as the SE three. It's got um, a six point four inch OLED screen, ninety hertz refresh rate, and uh, it's double the storage too. And then both of these have four cameras instead of one. So uh, I guess Apple does Apple just doesn't do a really good job for making budget budget stuff. You know? Well, I think the iPad they do a good job. The phone not so much. Like the the, the 999 MacBook Air, I think it's great value. And although I don't know if you call that budget or not, but the 329 iPad, I would call that good value and it's budget. So what's the cost to put cellular in the iPad? In the, I couldn't tell you. Like I don't buy it, but hundred dollars or something. something like yeah, that. usually it's one twenty nine, but I think for that one it's a little bit less because of the 
budget value there. Um, um it's uh you go from three twenty nine to four fifty nine. Yeah, that's quite a lot actually. One hundred and thirty. Yeah, yeah, four fifty nine. Yeah, so ignore the seller. Wi Fi only. <laughs> so you need a wi- that base model iPad is good value. Need a Wi Fi only iPhone SE. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, my 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 advice to somebody: if you only had five hundred dollars and you wanted an iPhone, I'd get an iPhone eleven. Apple still sells them. I'm sure you can get them even cheaper. Not at the Apple store. I think it's just a better product than the iPhone SE is. The processor, yes, it's older, but you're going to be fine for what you're doing. You get two cameras, you get the nice full screen design, you get Face ID, you get, you get an iPhone 11. You get Nightmare pictures. That's my, that's my uh, call on that one. You can get cool colors. Yeah, yeah, you can get a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, so that's iPhone S3. iPad Air. You're not, you're not sold on the iPhone S3. Uh, iPad Air, uh, the blue is better than before in that and this is what we we got, and we talked about the blue before. It, it's got the Pokemon yep. City blue, so that's that's good. Uh, the cerulean, cerulean, that that mm, color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I said in a previous show the cut the blues are similar, but you were correct. The blues are pretty different, and then this blue this year is better. I so. Accept your apology. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was blue in the face. When uh, I, hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I like the reviews that are like you know the, the thing about this iPad Air is it's got an M1 chip. It, it looks the same on the outside, but one chip on the inside. Like, okay. Woo-hoo! Yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> you know that saying where it's like, what can you do with it? if a tree falls down and nobody's there to hear it, did it really happen? Yeah. Like, if there's an M1 chip in the iPad Air but nobody can realize, did it, does it really matter? Yeah, you yeah. asked me a question this week was, if, you, if Apple didn't tell you it was an M1 chip, would you have known? No, but that's also, no. That's also true for the iPad Pro. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have the exact same comment on the iPad Pro, too. Like, yeah. it's not restricted to the air. Like, when the iPad Pro added the M1 chip, I'm pretty sure I said this is kind of useless as well. Like, not useless, but, like, obviously every single year, it's good that Apple puts faster and faster chips in their things because you, otherwise you have issues where you have, like, the Apple TV where it has, like, an old chip for many years or the iPod Touch or whatever. But, like, if you're looking as an upgrader or a direct interest or, you know, in the context of a review... I'd be like, look, if you're buying one this year, just get last year's model. It's fine. You're going to get basically no difference whatsoever. And on the iPad Pro line, I think you could even go further back because what have they really done for two years? They added a LiDAR sensor that doesn't do anything. They added an extra camera that, well, whatever, it's an iPad. And then they added a faster chip. Like the 2018 iPad Pro, still a very good product. Like, And I'm not saying that Apple shouldn't, you know, spec bump these things, rev them, but you don't have to get all like high and mighty about how good the newer generations are. Like, it's just a, it's just a nice little spec bump. Carry on. Yeah, the, that's the iPad. Air. You know the Twitter account Majin Buu official. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. On, on on March fifteenth, they said that Apple's developing a smart system for iPad OS. Apps will continue to open full screen, but automatically shrink when connected to a keyboard and trackpad. Internally, it's called Apple Mixer. We don't know if it will be included <laughs> in iPad OS sixteen or not. It should be M one iPad exclusive. I mean, I I imagine they could probably do it on an older model too, because that's just called. <laughs> You know, it's basically just doing what they do on a split screen on, like, all the old models, all the non-AM1 iPads all support split screen multitasking, right? And you can have picture-in-picture on the screen at the same time. You can have two apps. You can have the float, the slide-over window. All he's describing there is a windowing UI for that exact same functionality. So they could do it on an older generation. They probably will. Like, I, uh, well, okay, if they do do it, they, they, I'm sure they wouldn't limit to M1 iPad only. Uh, the question is whether iPad OS... 16 actually does do that stuff yeah that's we've the been, bigger question I, I we get we get our hopes up and we get let down very frequently on yeah. on that basis i'm but. not i'm not sure if my margin boost uh uh record here but so yeah if you buy an ipad air this year you're getting faster internals great but if you bought an ipad air in last year and now you've got one again 
don't expect to see massive changes because of the chip. You do get the nicer camera with center stage. What do you think about the no flash? Because you have a flash on the iPad mini. Okay, it's small. Maybe people take more pictures with it. But you have a flash on the iPad Pro, both sizes. So what? And you uh, you have a flash on the 329 one? I think you do. Maybe you don't. No, no? you don't get a flash on that one. Okay. So you don't get one on the Air either. And is, and is that just a cost savings thing? I mean, I feel like they put it. They put, I didn't realize that the mini has a flash. Yeah, it's got the good flash too. I didn't even know realize that. Okay, that's kind of stupid. They should have one on the air too. Yeah, the mini's got the like the I don't know the quad color flash thing. But. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, okay, that is that's just a dumb thing they haven't done. Ma- in the lineup, maybe this Majin Buu uh, M1 iPad exclusive windowing mode. That's like the you know. Let's just pretend for a moment that Majin Buu knows something about what's coming in iPad OS 16 or not, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. And one exclusive. And that's a way to say, not iPad mini. <laughs> no. I mean, not, not the 329 iPad until that gets an M1 chip. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they could make, they could do some features that require X amount of RAM because they have started listing RAM on the website. So they could probably call it out if they wanted to, but. Apple's been pretty good on software features. There's like they generally only limit a software feature to hardware when they're introducing the hardware. If you see what I mean. So like when they introduce the iPhone 13, they're like, hmm, photographic styles, iPhone 13 only. You know what I mean? Like it, that they could obviously do a version of photograph styles on older phones if they wanted to, but they don't because they want to make it a feature of the new phone. But what they don't tend to do very often, I don't see, is when iOS 15, 14, 16, 17, you know, the new major version comes around. When they announce those features, yes, they do cut off older models from certain features, but I think that's generally because it can't be done or it's going to lead to poor experience. Generally, the features they announce in June at WWC are available for every model that can actually, for every device that can actually do it. So they're pretty good about that. Okay. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by ZocDoc. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you do, but ZocDoc is the place to go for all the tools you need to find that perfect doctor. The creators of ZocDoc found all the things that weren't working in the healthcare process and said, let's fix it. ZocDoc makes booking a great doctor pain-free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. Go to ZocDoc.com happyhour to get the app and sign up for free. You can instantly read up on doctors in your area and see what real humans had to say about their visit with verified patient reviews. Just go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and select whether you want to see the doctor in person or via a video call. And that's it. You're instantly booked in. You don't need to wait on hold with the receptionist ever again, and you can be sure that they take your insurance. ZocDoc spans the gamut of doctor services with thousands of providers listed in just one app. Whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, or some other kind of specialist, ZocDoc has got you covered. Find the doctor that is right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. The ZocDoc app has a super clean and simple design, so booking in for an appointment is just as easy as adding an event to your calendar. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc. In a chaotic world of healthcare, ZocDoc is your trusted guide to finding a quality doctor. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. Once again, that's ZocDoc.com slash happy hour, spelt Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. Next up, Mayo, we have the Mac Studio. This is a computer, and the reviews are in for the computer, the Mac Studio. What do the reviews say about the Mac Studio, which is a computer? 
<laughs> the M1 Max version of the Mac Studio is basically the same performance profile you get out of a 16-inch MacBook Pro with an M1 Max in it, unsurprisingly. Uh, the thermal, the higher thermal ceilings of the Mac Studio body allow it to be run slightly faster. You're getting like an extra 5% probably in terms of benchmarking improvements compared to the uh, M1 Max in the laptops. But that's to be expected. Obviously, what people really are interested in, what's new with the Mac Studio is the M1 Ultra Trip, which is the two M1 Max dies glued together essentially to perform this like super chip that has twice the minimum number of uh, GPU and CPU cores and you can get up to 128 gigs of RAM. Uh, this is the uh, thing that Apple said competes against the like highest end Intel CPUs and the highest end uh, discrete graphics cards. On the CPU side, it definitely seems like that's true because Apple has been absolutely steamrolling everybody on the CPU in terms of power and performance efficiency. Like the M1 is, you know, closing in on the Mac Pro, the M1 Pro, and the M1 Max got even closer, and the M1 Ultra beats the CPU scores of any Intel Mac Pro you can buy, including the most expensive 28-core Xeon model. So if you care about CPU performance, the M1 Ultra is really, really good. On the GPU side, it's a bit less clear. Apple again showed that big graph at the keynote where they're like, here's the RTX 3090, and look, we're having the exact same performance and we're more power efficient. So far in the early reviews, that's not so clear to be the case. Like, And it's so hard sometimes to get clear readings on just by looking at benchmarks because benchmarks are synthetic. They're not necessarily portable across platforms. And as Apple's gone to Apple Silicon, it's good at some things, better than others. But like, they weren't even like in the ballpark. Apple's scores, uh, the the Ultra scores compared to a 3090 were like half on the GPU benchmarks that I saw. We'll have to probably wait and see for some more real world cases. I saw someone did a, a, a gaming test with, with the Tomb Raider game and the FPS was like 30 FPS below a 3090, which isn't great, but also Macs aren't really known to game very well anyway because the drivers kind of suck. So we kind of have to wait out a bit longer to see whether Apple's claims of like equals GPU performance are actually true in any real world use case. But early reviews are probably not. It's a perfectly fine GPU. It's much better than the one in the M1 Max because there's twice as many cores to it. But it's probably not looking like a 3090 performance, at least at this stage. But if you, like, you're still only talking about a $4,000 computer with the M1 Ultra chip inside. And if you're trying to find PCs that can beat that performance, you still have to probably spend more money or like equivalent money. And you're getting a tower that's ginormous with massive fans and, you know, flashing lights and heat sinks and all that stuff compared to a seven inch square little box that sits on your desk. So I think the Mac Studio is a perfectly perfectly good entrance to the lineup basically a home run if you wanted to get nitpicky you could say well apple could have just called it a mac mini pro because that's kind of what it is but i don't think that's really fair like it's a product that stands on its own it looks like a mac mini i would have preferred if they'd have been a bit more adventurous with the design because the chance for a new mac in the entire lineup doesn't come along very often and what they've ended up with is you know a Mac Mini that's a bit thicker, but I think calling it Mac Studio is fine. It has a big heatsink. It's different in design. It has front-facing ports which separate it out, right? Like it's it's a standalone unit, um, and if you want it, go and get it. And I think you're getting great value for your money. For most people, they can probably just get the M1 Max model if they like. If you or if all you want is a fast desktop, and you, the M1 uh, Mac Mini wasn't doing it for you, maybe RAM was an issue. An M1 Max with more RAM, perfectly fine option. Like I think the Mac Studio is a great buy. 
and you're looking at two thousand for the the max version and four thousand for the ultra. So even on price, there's a pretty clear difference there. So that makes sense, and it's always it's often the case that, or usually always the case that, um, there there's a certain level of performance that you won't need and that you can pay a whole lot for and you won't appreciate. So um, I, th- I think even when you bought your you 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 bought the the max chip for your MacBook Pro instead of the the Pro. And that and that gets into some of that territory too. Yeah, because you have to remember that the Max chip compared to the M1 Pro chip, the CPU is the same, right? So you're getting the same number of CPU cores, but you get twice the number of GPU cores, and you get the higher RAM ceiling. Um, and that was like I wanted more RAM. So primarily the reason I went to the Max is because I got the 64 gigs of RAM, which in my workloads, in very you know two days out of the month. I appreciate the extra RAM because I run like multiple iOS simulators, Xcode, Docker containers, servers, everything all in one machine, and the RAM requirements go up and up and up. Like I could make buy on 32 gigs, I'm sure. I could make buy on 16. That's what I had in my 2016 Mavic Pro that I used for five years, but now it was time for me to upgrade. I was going to spec it out, you know? Okay. I didn't really care for the GPU cores, but in hindsight, I probably could have bought an M1 Pro with 32 gigs of RAM and been right as rain you know but look i I splashed out a little bit i got the max hey i'm 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 living pretty you know like i'm not complaining i think most people out there if i was recommending something i'd recommend an m1 pro with 30 gigs of ram on the mac studio side there is no m1 pro option just get the base model m1 max that comes with 30 gigs of ram you'll be set for most things unless you know that you really need more if you're doing super intensive video work and or photography work and stuff yeah you're not complaining i am complaining because uh, despite buying my $1,000 MacBook Air, knowing the specs that it had and knowing that it costs twice as much to have higher specs, uh, apparently that's not, that's not okay. So, uh, what, what I, what I tweeted today is that in light of the $1,600 Apple Studio display review, I have to reevaluate my M1 MacBook Air. Uh, it, it only has 60 Hertz refresh rate. There's no promotion variable refresh rate. It's LED backlit. There's no micro LED or HDR support. And the webcam is a literal potato, so so you can't recommend it. And that's based entirely on the premise that uh, many of the review, <laughs> reviews for the Apple Studio Display were like, you know, this thing doesn't have promotion. This thing doesn't have HDR. This thing doesn't have um, micro LED. You know, local dimming zones. What's what's going on with this display? Why'd Apple make it? It's sixteen hundred dollars. Apple makes a display that has some of these features for six thousand dollars. You know, so a lot of it was comparing it. I mean, I think it's fair to compare it to, say, like the the MacBook Pro displays where you get promotion. Um, but you know, any any kind of comparison to the Pro Display XDR is is um, unfair. Uh, the the real issue came in with the, with the webcam. So I think there's a handful of reviews that have an issue with the webcam that comes with the computer, which is you know a lot of the justification for the A13 inside. Um, other than that, pretty good, pretty good display. You know, I, I think I think it's one of those things where, with a lot of the reviews, we know based on the specs what we're going to get, and that's what ships. And there's no surprise, no disappointment. Um, I mentioned last week that I'm glad that the Studio Display doesn't have some of those higher end features because that would have made it cost more. And you know, it's already ha- it already has like a bit of a premium to the the cost because it is sort of the only reasonably priced apple display you can have unless you want a reference monitor 
Um, well, and it's the only 5K option that isn't the LG Ultrafine. Right. Like, yeah. They've got a captive market. <laughs> that's, that's right. And, you know, I, I think that the price of the, of the 5K Ultrafine informed what they priced this thing at. You know, if the if the 5K Ultrafine, if LG was selling that for a thousand bucks, then maybe they'd say, okay, this is going to be thirteen or fourteen hundred dollars. But the LG 5K is, I think, thirteen hundred dollars. So you look at yep. it and you say, well, this is you know better and and build quality, and um, certainly with the the speakers and the microphone and maybe the webcam. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> sure, you know, fair, fair enough. Um, the the webcam story. Um, the Verge and the Wall Street Journal both sort of documented the experience where the webcam, I would say it's like on par with with the MacBook Air, you know, where it's pretty bad, yeah. pretty, pretty, pretty rough. Um, you don't expect that with, you sort of expect that with a thin display lid, you know, web, webcam is out of that because you can't do much in a, unless you're going to make the display thicker. Um, like an iPhone, even like an iPad, you know, that, that's significantly thicker than the lid of a MacBook Air. Um, but the, the 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 studio display is is nearly twice as thick as the iMac 24 inch. You know, it, it's I think you go from 11 millimeters to 19, so it's a pretty pretty big increase there in terms of how thick it is. And then the the, the webcam just seems to be sort of trash. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I mean, to me, it sounds like a pretty good pairing with my MacBook Air because the webcam's trash. It doesn't have some of some of the higher end display features. So it's the perfect monitor for that. But the camera thing's interesting, right? Because it's seemingly the tw- the same 12 megapixel sensor that's on the front of an iPhone 11. And they describe it as the same camera hardware as, as iPad. Yeah, because I guess it's the center stage thing, right? So it's ultra wide. Yeah, so yeah. You can look at like the camera, the front camera on an iPad 329 or an iPad Pro or literally the iPad Air we were just talking about, right? And it doesn't seem like they've like cheaped out on the hardware component, at least. In, and again, it's still early. They haven't been like super, you know, detailed teardowns or anything yet. But at least based on what Apple tells us, it's the same hardware component. It just, for whatever reason, currently the photos and the videos are coming out a bit rubbish. And the the evidence that we've seen in these reviews definitely back that up. Like, it doesn't look very good. It looks worse than the iPhone 11. It looks worse than the iPad cameras. It wo- looks worse than the MacBook Pro, uh, you know, the 2021 MacBook Pro cameras. So... That is a disappointment if that is the permanent status quo. It is not worse the... than, my, than my MacBook Air, though. Not worse than No. Nope. I know, but they were one of the reasons why they were touting the A13 chip was like, we got the image signal processor, yeah, yeah. we're going to give you center stage, it's going to look great, you know, you can have great video calls, so, you know, have at it. And that seems to be a big letdown. Now, Apple has said that they've been reviewing the footage that The Verge and The Wall Street Journal had sent them, and they've identified a software issue that they're going to address in a future update. Now, maybe it'll make it better? Who knows? They haven't said what was the problem. They haven't said how much better it's going to get. They haven't said that they didn't say explicitly that you should expect it to look identical to the front camera of an iPad. I hope it gets to that stage. I don't see why it shouldn't be. And it certainly could be a lot better than what it looks like on these test images. So I assume there is a software issue. Why wasn't it caught before the product shipped? Who knows? Uh, but if they can address it in an update, then we can reevaluate, right? But as it stands right now, the camera's a bit rubbish. <laughs> Speakers seem pretty good. Uh, the reviews were like, yeah, they're basically better than any other external display that tested. Uh, Jason Snell at Six Colors did say that maybe Apple like oversold it slightly. They didn't sound any better, maybe a bit worse than the built-in speakers on his iMac Pro. So, yep. 
iMac Pro has a whole computer inside as well. I mean, this has the A13. And, and Apple says the A13 specifically for, I mean, yes, the webcam um, for center stage. And then they say it's it's for spatial audio with the, the speakers. And then they say it's also for um, activating Siri with, with voice control. So those are the three things they say. Um, you know, people who have the $6,000 Pro Display XDR, you know, they are jealous of the microphone array and the speaker array because mm-hmm. it has, has neither. Um, it has nothing. <laughs> yeah, they are not jealous. And the webcam. They, they, the Protus Bay XDR's webcam caller is also terrible. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> it doesn't exist. They're kind of not jealous of the webcam, though. But um, I, and I, I, the webcam thing is like, uh, Apple never markets the webcam fairly. Like, I, first thought I had was like, well, what do they show you in, in the keynote? And what do they show you on apple.com for like what the, the preview images look like? You know, of course they always look like they're taken on a, on a, you know, the newest iPhone or like on a um, dedicated camera. They're really, really good quality. Um, but they're also, you know, probably completely made up um, and not real world experience, but that, you know, that's true of the, even my MacBook air with a potato webcam has, you know, if you look at the website, it, they, they don't show it having like grainy images that need, you know, a thousand uh, yeah. nits of of light in front of you to to have a decent experience. But um, it, I, I don't. I know you haven't read John Gruber's review yet either. But but he focuses heavily on the webcam as well, and because of him having the same experience, um, you know, I, I think in his review, he's like, you know, it's the display everybody wanted. It's the panel from the from the uh, LG 5K. It's the panel from the iMac. Um, Jason Snell notes that it's like 600 nits instead of 500 nits, so it's a little bit outdated, but that, that's it. Um, but but Gruber's review also includes a lot of images of of the webcam being subpar, disappointing. And then he also notes that the experience with um, with center stage is not good, which is interesting because on the iPad it's never been an issue, but on the um, on the part of, on the studio display, he, he has an experience where. He calls it off center stage because it it's slower to pan and around and capture the subject and, and it will sometimes settle with him on like the, the right of the screen when he's sitting center in front of the display. So it just seems like that's a not great experience yet either. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, you know, hmm. and, and he also said that uh, this software, so I think it's uh, Mac OS 12.3 that's required for the for the studio display, and that's because of center stage. So he used it with the MacBook Pro with 12.2 said the webcam was a little bit better then. He didn't didn't document it because he didn't think he needed to. But that by updating to 12.3 to have the official experience, the official supported experience, to add center stage support, that the webcam quality degraded to a level. He's highly skeptical that software will, will fix it though, because he says even the first you know experience he had wasn't what you'd expect from Apple in a webcam. Um, which is too bad. You know, if that's the case, then that's too bad. Uh, it does not at all affect my buying, you know, uh, plan because I've not been waiting for years for Apple to make a display with the webcam. That wasn't the holdup. It was for Apple to make a display that cost less than six thousand dollars, and you know, was the twenty-seven inch iMac, but just a display, so you could attach it to your MacBook um, and not have the the overhead of a computer inside. So, and they definitely gave you that. <laughs> they definitely gave gave you that. So, like, obviously, that's what people wanted, and that's what people asked for. Maybe some people were expecting them to do like slightly more stuff with it. You know, maybe higher refresh rate, maybe AirPlay with the A13 chip remotely, or you know, something maybe a bit cooler. But no, they literally just did what people asked for, which is take the iMac panel and sell it separately. And like, okay, you know, 
I, I, I the, a lot of these reviews are pretty negative because they're like, it's so expensive. You should, you know, it doesn't have all these like fancy features that the Produce Play XDR does. You can just get like a 4K monitor for like $300, which is way cheaper and you know, going to do you just fine. It's like, yes and, and no, right? Like the, 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 the reason everybody's been waiting for Apple to do this is because a 5K 27 inch panel is like perfect resolution for Retina on a desktop. It's a nice big screen. It's super nice, super sharp image quality, and and the macOS supports it natively. It looks great, and it's been what they've shipped in the iMac for five years, if not longer. And that's what people want. And the studio display definitely gives you that. The panel is, whether you want to say it as a as a, a criticism or as praise, basically identical to the Ultrafine 5K panel, which is a good panel. Is it Mini LED? No. Is it high refresh rate? No. But the panel is good, and I would ha- be very happy to have that panel in front of me right now. Uh, it looked fantastic; it'd be great. Price-wise, the Ultrafine is thirteen hundred. This is sixteen hundred. But then you, if you want to compare fairly to the Ultrafine, you then have to add on four hundred to get the height adjustable stand, right? Because the Ultrafine comes with the height adjustability stand in the first place. Yeah. Um. So at that point, you're paying seven hundred dollars extra. And yeah, that is a lot of money more for not much i mean you're getting nicer speakers you're getting build quality and hopefully the camera isn't terrible but who knows at this point but like you can't discount the fact that the lg 5k fails i mean even after they yeah they resolve the issue with it not working near um you know base stations the thing fails like it's, it's not i think what you have to acknowledge is a lot of apple accessories they charge more money than they should for <laughs> like yeah. I, the pricing is perfectly in line i think with any other Apple accessory. Does that mean it's good value for money? No. Does that mean it's fine? Yes. Like, and people are going to buy it. Like, I'd buy it. I'd, I'd be like, oh, this is expensive, but I'm going to buy one at some point. Like, unless they come out with some other, like, mid because, you know, there's someone on off rumors about them doing like a 27 inch with mini LED and high refresh rate as like a middle version. I, I don't want to spend over $2,000 there for this. Yeah. I, I mean, if it was 2,500, maybe I'd push it just for the cool features, but because I like, because 120 hertz is nice and that'd be cool if they could do that. But at the moment, another thing about the 120, 120 hertz situation is Thunderbolt 3 or Thunderbolt 4 at 5K does not have enough bandwidth to drive at 120 hertz. So if they're going to do that at all, they're going to need either to like push the boundary with some kind of like Thunderbolt 5 thing or they're going to have to do something completely custom that works with Apple Silicon and stuff. So that's. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds expensive. Sounds so, to me like an, that, like an iMac Pro that, that you know, you don't have to worry about the cabling because it's all internal. Yeah, exactly. And so that's clearly not in scope for this version of the studio display, which is aiming to be as inexpensive as possible, but giving people what they want. And $1,600, yes, before you could get a whole iMac for 2000 But if you thought Apple was going to give you a massive discount compared to that, then you were just miscalibrating the situation. I'm sorry, like... This company sells you a keyboard for two hundred dollars. They sell you a trackpad for one hundred and forty dollars. That is the realm where the studio display sits, and so you're getting a pretty nice display for six hundred dollars. The camera is disappointing. Maybe it'll get slightly better in an update. Maybe not. But speakers great, build quality great, display looks great. I think the only place where they really screw you is that you have to pay four hundred dollars extra if you want higher adjustability on the stand. Because sixteen hundred, okay. As soon as you add four hundred dollars for the the stand adjust the extra stand thing it's like oh that is you know that's a bit of a premium but again that's where apple generally gets upsell on stuff they they kill you on the options right you add options stuff gets a lot more expensive so do i think this is like out of the realm of apple's 
product lineup in terms of exorbitant pricing because one of the like didn't the verge call it like a confounding miss or something like i don't think it's in that category at all it's about par i'd say like it's not excelling it's not underachieving it's about what i expected the 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 brilliance on the display existing is that it exists in the first place you know (laughs) <laughs> I think the framing from The Verge was like people wanted this thing since 2014. They finally made it, but a lot has changed since 2014, mostly in recent years. Um, but but again, that that doesn't take into account that what has changed in recent years has been expensive. You know, um, even John Gruber's review points out that promotion began with the iPad in 2017 or 18, and then the the um, Pro Display XDR came out in 2019 and didn't have it. So it isn't that it didn't exist when that existed. It's just that. You know, that didn't do it yet um so yeah the uh, the six out of ten score is pretty funny to me though because that's lower than they rated the lg 5k which was rated pretty well i think like an eight because because <laughs> it had a simple design or something like that and then they rated the uh the only thing i'd say about that is obviously the lg ultra fine came out many years ago so that panel was impressive back then because it was new right so I can understand that to a little bit there is a definitely a like grading on a curve there yeah but as the 5k i by yeah, but it didn't predate oh, that. You know what I mean, though, right? Like, there is a. It is like it would be better if in 2022, Apple slash LG could make a panel that was better than the one they were shipping in 2015. And that was right? basically but 2017, by the way. It, you know, I mean, came out at the end of 2016, like December. Okay, so. okay, okay. I'll give you 2017. So, <laughs> but that's still five years, right? Like, I mean, there you go. Like, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I like, I think this the this, 2013 this Mac Pro is rated higher than this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, if you wanted to if i was asking if someone asked me for for like a star rating on this i'd give it like seven out of ten and i haven't touched one use one at all i think just these scores offering, are, they don't make any sense anyway i'm glad yeah i mean scores are kind I'm of glad we don't do this I, I when i say seven i mean it's perfectly good you could buy it you'd be happy is it cutting edge pushing the boundaries doing anything crazy no is it a massive flop no it's like right there it's an apple display it wasn't going to be less than a thousand. It probably wasn't going to be more than two thousand. Oh look, it's sixteen hundred. What a surprise! Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what, what do you want? Like, the, the real lesson here is that Apple should make an external webcam. They rely on Logitech for that for the um, Pro Display XDR with the two hundred dollars webcam. They get charged three hundred dollars for it. That, that'd be okay. Um, and if you don't care about build quality and stuff, just buy a four K mono. Buy two four K monitors for less than the studio. Yeah, I saw, and so I saw, I saw someone else tweet today that. Um, the thing about the set of displays at sixteen hundred dollars, so to buy two is thirty two hundred dollars, and they, they just spend one fifty one hundred fifty dollars on two on a display, so it's only three hundred dollars to have two. That, that is just like such a comparison from another world because it's like the iPhone SE situation, right? You could buy three decent Android phones for the price of one iPhone thirteen, but you don't. You buy the iPhone thirteen because that's what you want. Like. Yeah. There are some things that Apple does that I do think are exorbitantly ridiculous, like the Pro Display XDR, right? Like, and we say that, but this is premium, nice, premium luxury. Like, it just is. And if you don't want to buy it, don't buy it. I wish other manufacturers would make cheaper 5K displays that are 27 inches or 25 inches or 30 inches. You know, like, if they existed, I would maybe buy one of them instead. But they don't exist. So what do you want from like? What do you want them to do? Like, yeah, I, I was in, that's another point in all of this that's you know worth mentioning. It's that okay, so sixteen hundred dollars for this, and you you know for the reviews that wish it had, you know, promotion and uh, micro LED HDR. You know, well, what what display 
for six hundred dollars does that, you know, or even say two thousand dollars, they just don't exist yet. Yeah, I saw a lot of people comparing to the thirty-four inch ultra wides, right? And on that, the critical point is resolution. The ultra wides are thirty-four e, sorry, thirty thirty-four forty by about fourteen forty, right? The twenty-seven inch five Ks are five. 1280 by 2880 like it's a wholly different number of pixels and resolution and if you want that extra vertical and, and horizontal you know density that's your that's your choice their ultra wires are not going to cut it for you if you want a nice big monitor go and get ultra wide have a you know have a blast like i'm like uh, people prosumer apple customers want 27 inch 5k displays and now there's a decent option the lg was an option didn't really like it because the build quality kind of sucked. And next to all of Apple's other computers, it looked kind of rubbish. If you don't care about that, buy the LG. If you do care, buy a studio display. End of story. Are you happy with that? I'm, I'm happy with that. I wish I didn't care about resolution because that is the world of displays is so much. It's, it's so big. Curves. If you, you want a 4K display, you, you have old, like a thousand choices. You get OLED. <laughs> you can get curves. Yeah. 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 If you want a 5K display, you've got two choices. One cheaper, build quality a bit rubbish. One more expensive, nice build quality. I know which one I'd choose, even if I grit my teeth while I bought it. Yeah. So, so for me, this is probably going to be a purchase um, in May or June, and I, I, uh, I will buy the the, the Visa mounted option and with the the nano texture display, which I think also the Verge didn't love. They said it smudges easily. And, uh, hard to clean. okay all right cool that's why it's an option if you don't want it get the glossy happy hour this week is also sponsored by upstart if you're carrying multiple credit card balances and only paying the minimums such that you're barely making a dent in your debt well that can be discouraging upstart can help you pay off your debt quickly so you can feel like you're finally getting ahead upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan done all online whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses. Over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear and transparent payoff date. Rather than looking at just your credit score, Upstart can consider other factors like your income, employment, and credit history to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in just five minutes for loans worth between one dollars to $50,000. You can receive funds in as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash happy hour. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash happy hour. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. One more time, go to upstart.com slash happy hour. Thanks to Upstart for sponsoring the show. Okay, iOS 15.4 is available. You get universal control and some other things, and The Verge gave it a 2 out of 20. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Universal control does have some interesting feedback from people. Like, you either love it or you can't think of a reason for it to exist. Um, I I haven't used universal control because I only have a single Mac. I have no iPad. That rules out it being even possible to test for me. Um, but it, it, it does exist. The universal control. I mean, I think that if I were using a multi-device setup like that, I would really love it. Not, I mean, not, not only because you can, you know, drag files in between devices and things like that, but because you have your hands on one 
input for, for text in, entry and you have your hands on one input for navigation, for moving your cursor around, and you don't, like even if you have a mouse and keyboard on your iPad, then, you know, I, I think, I, I think that I like the mouse and keyboard on a MacBook better than the mouse and keyboard on on an iPad. Um, a little bit, hundred percent, a little bit bigger. So it's bigger. Yeah, it was a bit better. Yeah, yeah, and especially if you're using, you know, if you're using like an iMac and you're using, you know, whatever mouse and keyboard you prefer for that, then then that's that's kind of cool. So um, that that's for me the thing is like you, you know, if you just want to move something around on the iPad. It's that you know you can reach across and touch it, but you, to not have to take your hands off something is pretty nice. I mean, it's the reason that I love having iMessage on the Mac is because if I want to text, I don't have to pull, pick up my phone and like interrupt what I'm doing. I can multitask way more efficiently. Um, but um, again, don't have, don't have the proper hardware for universal control. Don't know about you, but yeah, I haven't t- touched my iPad in months and uh, <laughs> it theoretically does support it. Cause it's all iPad pro models, but that's true. I, it needs like updating and logging in and I just haven't, I haven't done it. So it's a lot of work. I, it is a lot of work for something that I'm going to like realistically try for 10 minutes and then not use again because <laughs> it's just not, well, I'm not saying it's a bad feature. I think universe control is a great feature. And in a real world setting, I think more people might get use of it because it works Mac to Mac as well as Mac yeah, to iPad. Yeah. Right. So if you've got a MacBook Air, say, and an iMac or a MacBook Air and a Mac Studio with a studio display and you have one on the go and you have one at your desk, quite often, I think when people come home, they go to their desk and they just put the MacBook Air next to their desktop Mac. And then magically it will just work and you can move your keyboard and mouse across if you want to. Nice feature. Similarly, a lot of people use a Mac at home and they use an iPad when they go out and about. If you're that kind of person as well, when you come back home, you just dock your iPad on your desk somewhere and then you can bring the cursor along to it and just use it as a second monitor kind of situation. You know, if you don't like, I don't like the idea of sidecar very much because it's like zooming it down and fitting on the screen, but I, if I was an iPad guy again, I would probably use, I'd dock it, I'd leave the iPad with a little dock on my desk next to my laptop with the screen and move the cursor along back and forth. Like, as a virtual KVM solution, it's a pretty cool idea. It's great that it's built in because, and there are like some options that have existed for ages on the Mac. So like, I think one's called Synergy and it just offers, you know, Mac to Mac, move your mouse across, move your keyboard across. Those features don't exist on the iPad at all because a third party couldn't do it because it needs deep system access, right, on the iPad. So the only person that can offer it here is Apple. They've done it. Based on early testing from other people and early hands-on, it sounds like they've done it pretty well. Even, you know, it was delayed a few months compared to when it was probably originally meant to come out, but they've taken the time. Seems to work pretty well. It's still labeled as a beta in this, in this release. So when you turn the toggles on to use it, they're all labeled little beta, little beta labels on them. So I guess they're still, Apple still thinks there's going to be some issues here and there, but Based on early experiences, it sounds like they've done a good job on it. So I'm very impressed. I think, despite having not used it, Universe Control, big thumbs up. They should they should call the webcam in the studio display a beta. Don't work <laughs> on it. Uh, mask unlock is, is part of iOS 15.4. That means that if you uh, want to use Face ID in your iPhone, and you also want to um, wear a mask for protection of your face, you can do that without entering your password or optionally wearing an Apple watch to pass that. Uh, um, this has been, you know, it's been available in the beta for several weeks now. I've, I've had opportunity to use this. Uh, I like it so much that I turned off the watch unlock feature because I'll always have my iPhone. I usually have my watch, but I didn't like when it was falling back to the watch 
because it just seems a little bit slower than just the mat than the, than this feature. It is slower, yeah. yeah. This feature is built right in and doesn't have to do a roundabout transfer, and you know it work it works really well. So I like it. I wish it had been available a year and a half ago, but beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> uh, also, a nice surprise when fifteen before came out, uh, the visual lookup feature was previously US only. And now it's available in the UK as well. Now, visual lookup, if you're not aware, is the thing in iOS 15 where if you're looking at like a photo or whatever in your photos app, it can like identify the content of the image and show you the little like reference panel with related information. So if you take a picture of a leaf, theoretically, the iPhone can use machine learning to be like, that's this kind of leaf and this kind of tree. You click on the little button and it shows you the information. In the photos app, it shows up with a little like, on the eye symbol where you see the information about the metadata about the image, if it's got this visual lookup additional context, it's like a sparkles around the little eye button. So that's how you know that it's there for that photo. But this is a feature that, to my mind, doesn't have any localization concerns because a leaf looks like a leaf regardless of where you are in the world, I guess. But it, it works for landmarks and other stuff too. But until 15.4, it was US exclusive. Now it's available in the UK region as well. So if you have your device set to UK like I do... Now, all your old pictures and any pictures you take from now on will also be highlighted with visual lookup information, if available, which is nice. Pro tip, works with breeds of dogs. That's what I, Fair that's what nice. I use yeah. it for. You know, what breed of dog do I have? You know, my rescue from the pound. Oh, it's an American. I don't know. I forget the name of it. but And I bet when the AR headset thing comes out, they probably have that built in. I was, well. was going to say, this, this is a very, yeah. you know... VR, AR experience. Future-looking feature, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so now we know two, two markets that will have the headset, at least. <laughs> uh, and then on the TVOS side, we've, we have spoken about it previous weeks, but just some little things that I thought of. So one thing that we weren't known about was authorizing purchases uh, on the Apple Watch. So if you're using the updated TVOS software that's logged into the same Apple ID as the watch nearby... You can authorize the purchase on the TV by double-clicking the side button on your watch. Similar to how you can authorize uh, Apple Pay with your Mac, right, if you didn't have Touch ID on your Mac. Uh, Now it's available for the Apple TV as well, which is kind of cool because you don't have to type in your password using the Sierra remote or dictate it or get your iPhone keyboard out and type it that way. You can just double-click on your Apple Watch and off you go. You've bought a movie or whatever or you've rented a movie. Just any any standard uh, in-app purchase panel will support this, which is cool. I wish... They'd put authentication on the remote itself. Like, oh, the, I know the we've only just remote. had the Siri remote updated, but if they could have done it with Touch ID and the side button or something, that'd have been really, really good. And eventually there will be another Siri remote generation, and I'd hope Touch ID would be one of the things they consider putting in there, but they didn't even mic. put in a beeper for the Find My, yeah. so maybe I'm a bit too optimistic on that one. <laughs> yeah, they should do a pro remote with those features and then charge like $500 for it. A studio remote. Yeah, a studio remote. I, the, the name studio before you go any further the name studio has has had me thinking today what other names could they attach to a mac to like suggest its use case and i was thinking like mac garage like and that'd be more industrial like like the mac pro the current mac pro you know i was thinking mm-hmm. what other use and maybe that was because i was working in the garage but um what do you, i'm curious what people's ideas are for a mac adjective mac location yeah not, not, probably, now that we're using location as modifiers and not just the the size or the you know uh, the specs of it, it's the location it's intended to be used in. The Mac Mini will get rena- renamed to like the Mac Cupboard. 
because people <laughs> put them in the cupboard as like servers. The Mac living room. <laughs> the Mac dorm. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. 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 And then the Mac universe. <laughs> <laughs> the emac Ooh. yeah yeah the mac that's, that's the, throwback. the mac sand dune by the ocean that i saw <laughs> you know. uh captive network support this is both on the apple tv and the home pod which is very nice my first experience with the home pod was in a hotel in chattanooga tennessee for the weekend and i was doing all kind of tricks to get this thing to work so i could review it in in you know in a reasonable amount of time and I think that involved hotspot, maybe. I don't know. But captive captive stuff. This is good. This is good for, as you say, you mentioned a minute ago, universities. It's good for hotels. Um, for the Apple TV especially. I mean, I, I, I have good luck taking my Apple TV and traveling when I stay at an Airbnb, usually, you know, usually a home with like normal Wi-Fi. But if it is a hotel and you want to attach it to the TV to get actual use out of the TV, then that's the captive network. This is available now. You know, the, the the way that Steve Jobs pitched the, I, th- I think, I, I think the, the iPhone or the iPod Touch, but one of them, probably the iPod Touch, but it was, we have Safari built in and and it was like, you know, so you can get on Wi-Fi because, you know, you're going to need to authenticate in all these places on Wi-Fi. Well, they figured out a way to do it without having Safari on the Apple TV or HomePod. Um, pretty good. Yeah, basically it just, if you, if you need to connect to, captive network wi-fi on the apple tv or the home pod when you press the button to connect it will just ping it off to your phone to log in and then you once you log in it sends the credentials to the tv and you can access the network which is nice it does also kind of presage potentially a future apple tv form factor that was more open to being portable like a stick for instance (laughs) that would be cool if they now you because like if you're going to a hotel and stuff yeah you can carry the little puck but a lot of people take Fire Sticks and or like an Amazon Roku little Premiere thing because it's literally the size of a USB stick and it does what you need in a hotel situation. The Apple TV is a bit more of a hassle because you have to take the cable, you have to take the separate power cord, you have to take the, the actual Apple TV. It's just big. Like I think there's perfect room in the lineup for a really mini Apple TV that does you know doesn't do any games or any of that rubbish. It's just streaming apps. Can be really small. Can use some cool Apple Silicon chip and be really efficient, and they can sell it. You know, for a lot cheaper, and I think people would buy it, but they haven't done it so far. But if the captive networks is one nice feature that would definitely complement that product, Apple TV Mini, Apple TV Hotel, <laughs> Apple TV Hotel, Apple TV Airbnb, yeah, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> uh, breaking news from yeah. Mark Ramon at Bloomberg. This is just a tweet, and I'm not reading the story yet. He says Apple's new iPhone SE has a secret new feature that sidelines the wireless carriers from the buying process, and they could come to the iPhone 14 this fall. I don't know what that means without reading the story. What, hell, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> uh, here's the bullet points. The company is taking a different pro- approach with the new iPhone SE. Users will no longer need to provide carrier info at purchase. Okay. Yeah, I had to do that. But then when you connect it to a carrier, you probably still have to put the same information in. Does uh, buy an iPhone on an Apple store, the company's online store, the customer provides a wireless phone number. Less for the social, credit check, approve this transaction. Ah. It sounds a bit more like semantics than... Starting uh, with the FC, low and mild, goes on sale tomorrow. Process changes. Apple has told retail employees. Yeah, that's, that's where it comes from, at least. It makes it makes the buying process a bit more streamlined. New features called on-device authentication, Apple has told staff. Yeah, so I guess rather than having to like choose your plan and stuff directly in the store, they can like take it home and do it then, but... 
I mean, you're still going to have to connect up to a carrier at some degree. So it's just, it's a small step of Apple like pushing the carrier's phone into the background. It's, it's, it's like unlocked phones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which still need carriers. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then like you get a bit of flexibility, but I don't think it's like a huge. Doesn't sound like a huge deal, at least based on our very preliminary reading of it. Yeah, I don't know either. Reviews didn't mention this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, this week, Happy Hour is brought to you by New Relic. As well as doing this podcast, I make apps. And if you're a software engineer, you'll relate to this. It's late at night, you're unwinding, and bing, 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 your phone is buzzing because something has gone wrong. The app isn't working, the server's down. Whatever the case, there's a mad scramble to try and work out what has gone wrong. Modern software is complicated, and there are so many layers of the stack that could be at fault. What Nurek does is offer comprehensive and precise system monitoring, so you can quickly hone in on the problem and fix it. You don't have to need to deploy the entire team messaging each other back and forth to try and debug the issue. New Relic combines 16 different monitoring products that you'd normally have to buy separately in an all-in-one offering. So engineering teams across the front end and the back end can see the entire software stack in one place. And that's why the dev and ops teams at DoorDash, GitHub, Epic Games, and more than 14,000 other companies use New Relic to debug and improve their software. Whether you run a cloud-native startup or a Fortune 500 company, it takes just five minutes to set up New Relic in your environment. That next 9pm call is just waiting to happen, so get New Relic before it does. And you can get access to the entire New Relic platform and 100 gigabytes of data, free, forever, no credit card required. Sign up at newrelic.com slash happy hour. That's spelled N-E-W-R-E-L-I-C dot com slash happy hour. One more time, newrelic.com slash happy hour. Thanks to New Relic for sponsoring the show. If you thought that the processor upgrade from the iPhone 12 to the iPhone 13 was a little meh, then boy, are you in for a surprise with the iPhone 14 upgrade from 13. You know, let's say you're on the Apple upgrade program and you buy a new iPhone every year. Um, the story goes that the iPhone 14 standard, which we believe to come in two sizes, normal and big, instead of mini and normal, will use the same A15 chip as the iPhone 13. And Apple will save the A16 chips for the iPhone 14 Pro and Pro Max. What do you think about that? So when I first saw the story, it was tweeted by Ming-Chi Kuo, who loves tweeting crazy stuff recently. And I was like, that sounds really bizarre and really kind of (laughs) insane. Uh, But then digested it a bit as uh, our colleagues at 9to5Mac uh, managed to confirm it. I, I was, was going to say, when I first saw this story, it was being worked on internally before yeah. we did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there was a bit of concurrent investigation going on there. Tweet it out, dude? Come on. <laughs> that definitely um, increased the confidence in the thing. And after I'd written the story, because I posted it on the site, it kind of sounded less insane by the end. Like, Apple already bifurcates the chips in the phones based on what model you buy if you buy the pro iphone 4 13 you get an extra gpu core and you get extra ram compared to buying the mini or the base model 6.1 inch phone do they call it a15 they're all a15 there's no difference in the name but the specs are different so it doesn't seem like that's that's a that's a that's a situation like the it, it, you just it's a bit more of a leap to be like okay the entire same chip generation is not going to be on every model and Technically, all of the flagships of the iPhone 14 will now have only the high-end Pro ones will get an A16 compared to an A15. But 
if you break it down, is it really that different to what they've done in the last year, apart from like marketing concerns? I don't. It, it like it, it sounded crazy to me. Like, why would they do that? It sounds insane. But now it's just like it's a way to differentiate the lineups. Like, as we spoke about at the start of the show, year to year, Apple Silicon changes often unnoticed, right? Like M1, not M1, whatever. Like on an iPad, at least it's like okay, it's faster, but. If you didn't have it, would you really care? Probably not. On the iPhone, same deal, A13, A14, A15, incremental year by year. If you're buying a cheaper model, getting last year's processor, I don't think you're going to feel too bad about it. Like, it's obviously you prefer if you've got everything brand new and shiny, but if there's stuff that they need to cut to make the cheaper models doing the processors as the last year generation is probably fine. I mean, compared to the Android competition, they're still way ahead. Like even the A14 chip is way ahead on raw CPU performance than the Android lineup, so they haven't got a competitive pressure there. And I think a big factor is that, as you said, the iPhone 14 now will come in 6.1 inch and 6.7 inch sizes, normal and pro. And that's the first time that's going to happen, right? The first time ever we'll get a 6.7 inch phone that is not the super expensive pro one, which is like you know eleven hundred dollars and up. Yeah, think of it like iPhone, kind of ex- iPhone 14, iPhone 14 Max iPhone 14 Pro, iPhone 14 Pro Max is kind of the idea. With yeah. And so they're going to look basically identical. I'm sure they'd be able to do the thing where it's like aluminium, stainless steel again, whatever. But screen size wise, you'll be able to get a 14 Max probably for the same price that you get a iPhone 13 normal or, you know, plus $100, like around $800 versus $1,100 and up for the Pro 13 Pro Max, right? And so if that's the case... Maybe Apple's decided this year that they need a little bit more stuff or tech specs differences to differentiate the lineups. And if that's the trade-off, getting more people accessible to a cheaper 6.7-inch iPhone, but that means they're going to use last year's CPU, I'd, I think I'd choose that. Like, I, I, I would still buy the Pro phones, and I don't like the max size, so I'd get the 6.1-inch Pro. But if you're just an average consumer, I think you're going to benefit way more from getting a bigger screen for less money than getting the a15 to a16 processor jump it could also be a factor with the chip shortage and stuff but i reckon it's mostly apple marketing product marketing decisions that'd be my guess anyway yeah so yeah i know that you buy the pro phones but if if you're an annual upgrader without buying the pro phones would this affect your decision to upgrade? are you an annual upgrader then <laughs> well yeah are there people that do annual upgrades and don't buy the pro models like i'm sure Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly, surprising. I, th- I think that some people who care about like the phone quality and everything get enough out of the non-pro phone, and then prefer the lightness of it, or maybe the color, you know, especially the colors. <laughs> yeah. <You know, laughs> that that that's the case. Um. So would it be? Would would you want to skip out this year if you didn't buy the pro phones? You didn't care about the bigger phone, and the chip was literally the same. You know. That, you know I, yeah, maybe. Maybe you would. Yeah. Okay, don't don't buy it. This year. <laughs> the other thing is, um, makes the SE three look pretty good if it's going to have next year's chip too. That's true. That is true. Yeah, I I was I was, what, I was curious, you know, so a couple of things for me on this. It seems it it seems like, you know, maybe a few things. So one, it reminds me a little bit of the iPhone uh, eight, iPhone ten year where there was like a dramatic difference between the the two phones for the price. Um, you know, one was a you got another. Uh, version of the same phone design since the iPhone six. The other was, you know, what 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 was, is now the the current lineup, but you know, 
then it was representative of the, of the future of the iPhones. Um, so that's, that's a pretty good year. Um, this this is a little bit like that and going back to that because I think in recent years it's been much closer. The the gap between the non-pro and the pro phones has been pretty much the camera. And if you care about promotion than that this year, you know, when they made the change from LCD to, um, to, to, to OLED on the non-pro phones, that closed that gap by a good bit, in my opinion. Um, they also, I, it seems like a change that they... They, if they want to go this route, it's not just going to be for next year or, or you know this fall. It's that they see this as the future of the iPhone being different between non-pro and pro, and this is just the year that they you have to sort of yeah you have to bite you know you have to brunt it yeah right? you got to pull the, the band, transition band, pull the bandit yeah. off and then it's hard for this year. But no other year will will it be like the iPhone 15 won't have the same chip as the iPhone 14. It's just this one year where it's going to be a little bit weird in that regard. They will still continue to do in the future. The pro has the newer chip than the than the non pro, but you know this is the only year where it's going to be weird where they've got last year's chip and this year's phone. Um, in that in that case, you'll each year forward you'll probably have the you know the pro phone or the non pro phone will have last year's pro phone chip, so that'll be an upgrade year over year for the non pro phone. Um, finally, I wonder if having Apple Silicon and Macs and more Macs, especially notebooks, is is a factor. Um, you know, the M1 is that based on the A14? Yep. Yep. And and so it's possible. I think it like best case scenario is that the M2 is based on the A16 this fall, but you know it could be the A15. But it's probably A15. Yeah, which is too bad. But um, but but if it were the case that you know Apple's got their highest end chip is also in Macs and the Pro phones, that by having the level down chip in the non-pro phones would probably make up the bulk of the iPhone cells, and that that frees up some of that manufacturing for, for Macs as well as iPads. But I don't know. Probably also it's possible. I think the most likely answer is it's just Apple deciding to start a tier tiered system, like you said, and this is just the first year they're going to do it, and it will be the new pattern. But out of everything Apple scandalous could do on <laughs> skirting on stuff, this it ranks low on my list. Like this is worse. Like this is way better than them. Like taking the charger out of the box, for instance, in my book. Yeah. Now, when we were looking at the story before Quote just tweeted it out, you know, it was like, you know, we were trying to think about, well, how how will this go down? Will they really say it's the A15 again and that they have the A16 chip in the iPhone 14 Pro, you know? Um, and, and we're thinking, well, you know. They're going to give it more RAM, by the way. So even though it's the A15, it'll get 60 gigabytes of RAM versus the lower it like the, the the non-pro phones this year have four gigabytes of ram so. and then the pro have six right and the pro has six already yeah again last year's pro becomes this year's normal um it, it were, so yeah because of the ram difference they could not even call it an a15 anyway right right yeah and, and we were thinking about you know with the apple watch they they've certainly done the exact same chip and called it you know a new name so could could they go that route for marketing? Maybe, but you know, we'll see. But but when Quo just tweeted it out, then it was like, okay, they're, this is certainly what they're doing. We're not confused by what we're looking at here. So, and, and yep. Yeah. And just to add on to our reporting, uh, Philippe Esposito did a post about the situation and also noted that the satellite navigation features that were rumored for last year's phone at the very last minute, uh, they still seem to be in development and probably will come alongside the iPhone 14. So one of the iPhone 14 features. Uh, might be emergency satellite communication stuff. Nice. Which apparently is codenamed Stewie. Odd. I'll take it. Who knows why? Yeah. Uh, finally, this week, the Apple TV 
uh, app, the, t- app. The, the, the TV app, I think in all places has a nice update in the Apple TV Plus yep. section, which is what? So, previously, if you were watching some shows, you'd have your Up Next queue, right? And your Up Next queue would live in the Watch Now tab. So, if you're someone like me who doesn't use the Apple TV app for anything else but TV Plus, like I don't really rent any movies or buy any TV shows or I don't use any of the channels or I don't use any of the Discovery stuff because it collates all the different apps you've got. I don't care about any of that, right? I just want to watch TV Plus inside of it. Before, you'd find new shows in the TV Plus Originals tab, which previously didn't exist, but they added that about a year ago now, and that's been, that's been great. So you'd find new shows that way, only see Apple TV Plus stuff. But if you want to carry on watching or you're in the middle of a TV Plus show, your up next queue would not be visible in that context because the TV Plus tab didn't have it. You'd have to go back to Watch Now at the top of Watch Now where you'd have your up next queue where you would see the stuff that's queued up, but you'd also start seeing ads for everything else Apple's promoting in the TV app. Now, as of 50.4 and you know everywhere, it's rolling out across to everything, they now have an up next on Apple TV Plus row inside the TV Plus tab, which is fantastic because that means now you can live entirely inside the TV Plus tab and not only find new TV Plus shows, also carry on watching the things you've got. And if you've got up next, if you've got other stuff other stuff in your up next queue, like I have stuff from BBC iPlayer and ITV and Apple TV Plus, in the Watch Now tab, the up next has everything still. But if you're in the TV Plus tab, the up next queue is filtered, so it only shows you TV Plus content. Really, really nice addition. Very happy about it. As always, there's always more they can do. At some point, they can't just stuff everything into one tab with one scrolling view. It needs to expand out and, you know, ideally up next would be its own complete separate tab and you'd have options to filter out stuff you didn't want to see or whatever. But for the time being, now you can fully live only in the originals tab if you just want to watch Apple TV Plus stuff, which is a great improvement for me. And I think a lot of people out there, because I think a lot of people use the TV app just like me where they're watching Apple originals and they don't care about the rest of it. Yeah, I, I watch Apple originals on the TV app. And I watch Disney content in the Disney app, HBO Max in the HBO Max app. The kids watch stuff on PBS Kids and that app. Yet all of it affects, I guess I could disconnect it from TV, but all of that affects the up next queue on the TV app, um, which I think is nice because then, you know, that is a nice feature that you can resume what you're, it, it integrates with. I mean, if like a Netflix did it as well, then it'd be really nice because you've got all the different channels. You know, not even like you're subscribing to it to the TV app, but you just have them on your on your device, and they show up in in the the TV's up next queue. That's that's nice. Um, but being able, but you also sort of had a, a worse experience for Apple's first party streaming service because of because it did integrate with everything else. When like in the Disney app, the queue doesn't pull in stuff from other apps. You know, it's it's, yeah. it's just your queue. <laughs> Same thing. I mean, all the other apps. So now Apple finally can check off that that feature box that it didn't have, which is to have just a queue of, of shows on this service. <laughs> Not- yeah, I don't mind them having the, you know, integrating everything into one application experience, but it can't be the, like, it has to be an option. Like, you should be able to use the TV app. You, there should be a way to use TV Plus, only TV Plus, whether that's a completely independent TV Plus app, which they haven't done, whether that's, you know, UI options, settings, toggles, putting features in different tabs, like the current, the, the strategy they currently seem to be pursuing. That's another option. I would love that if the TV app got so good that it could be like a permanent TV guide for everything, that the up next queue had all sort of filtering options and could work across all my services and included Netflix and 
the library. I could add all stuff in there, right? That'd be fantastic. It's not there today. As it stands right now, I basically just want to use the TV app for TV Plus stuff. One of the most annoying things before was you'd always have to go to, you'd have to use two tabs to find up next to carry on what you're watching. And I obviously can understand it and do it. I'd be annoyed that I have to switch tabs, but I can do it. Trying to explain that to my family, no chance. Like, now I can just be like, look, don't ever leave the tab at the top that says Apple TV Plus. All your stuff will be there. You'll be happy. You know? Like, and it just makes it so much simpler. So I'm so glad they've, they've rolled this out. Very nice. All right. That is the Happy Hour Podcast for this week. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe. You can uh, subscribe for the ad-free version in Apple Podcasts for $4.99 a month. Uh, we appreciate everyone who does that. We appreciate everyone who supports our sponsors as well. That keeps the show going and supports us. And if you have any feedback for the show, you can email Benjamin and I together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZach. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. Benjamin is on Twitter at BZA Mayor. And Benjamin will be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.